and wanted to continue today. Uh, this is week number three of the series that we started called R-Rated Relationships. R-Rated Relationships. So the idea here, if you're new with us, is that... Uh, even in these movie theaters, there are all kinds of movies that play, and some of them are so-called rated R. They're a restricted audience. You know, you have to be above 17 or above 18 or however it works in order to go and see it. And the reality is that sometimes in our relationships and how we deal with one another uh, in various kinds of relationships, they can be pretty messed up. They can be pretty dysfunctional. There can be a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of conflict in them. And there can be things going on in there that we're kind of ashamed of. We don't want anybody to know about. And they're actually R-rated. And what we've been seeing is that if we really look into the scripture and we look at the, the status of relationships and of the family um, the, the, the attack of the enemy, who is very, very real, takes place in those relationships. And we see that in the books of Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. We can see that Paul talks to this church about how people need to behave with one another and how these relationships work. And then he concludes his idea of talking about this idea of a very real conflict with, well, the devil. Implication, he works in those areas. He works in those relationships and he does whatever he can to cause destruction. And so we want to look into that whole area we've done. Uh, we talked about communication or we use the word R there for respect. And then last week we talked about uh, resolve, the idea of forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about probably the most difficult uh, subject, and that's the word I'm using in our word, romance, but really we're going to talk about sexuality today. This is a key area in relationships. This is the area that is on people's minds, whether they admit it or not, whether they're people of faith or not. This is an area that is constantly there underneath the surface. I'm amazed at how pervasive uh, this area is in all of the walks of life, in all the angles of life. Um, if, you, if you're in the workplace, the marketplace, the school, and you're talking with people, nine times out of ten, if you, you can easily direct the conversation towards the idea of sexuality. Many of the jokes that we hear are all based on this. Uh, we even see it in the current, the current scene in the culture. This whole thing played out in, the, in of course, the election and uh, what went on south of the border. This is a, this is a focal point uh, of, of modern 21st century culture. But a lot of times there's so much pain associated with the area and so much dysfunction in the area and we really need to see, okay, what does God say about this? What does God have to say about this area as it works in human relationships? First thing we need to understand here because there's very different sources, where are we getting our information from? Um, are we getting it from pop culture? Or are we getting it from the scripture? The culture or the scripture? Because you're going to find when it comes to this area, the two are diametrically opposed to one another. The culture is saying one thing about it and the scripture is saying something very, very different and you can't really mix the two. 
they are very, very opposed to one another. Um, the day after the the election, which is on everybody's minds, I was of course surveying uh, the news and seeing what people thought and what people how they were reacting. And I came across one uh, television show that wasn't talking about the election results at all. How refreshing! Uh, but they had this lady on, and she was of course talking about you know the next hottest thing, which was sex. So I was like, okay, well, let's see what she has to say, this lady. And so, and so I, you know, watched and listened very carefully as she was on this talk show giving advice about the whole area of human sexuality and relationships. And I'm listening to this stuff. And some of what she had to say wasn't so bad. I mean, she was talking a little bit about communication and transparency and honesty and all that. Uh, but then she said, you know, um, you, you need to talk about these things because if you see something on Netflix and you want to try it, you know, then you need to talk about this. <laughs> it's like, wow. So we're getting our information about this from Netflix, are we? Well, if that's where you're getting it from, the results that you're going to get are probably not going to be, you know, they're, they're probably going to be destructive more than, more than beneficial. You will see as you look into the scripture that it is a very different picture that is painted about this area. And the two are diametrically opposed to one another. I want you to feel free today. I'm going to take my phone out. And, uh, and put it on my, on my table here. Uh, I want you to feel free to text me your questions live uh, today. I don't do this too often. Uh, sometimes I do it, um, sometimes I do it uh, where you can actually ask me live, but some of you might be embarrassed to do so. Uh, so if you want to text me a question on this subject live, I will pause and answer it live. Provided, you know, it's not like R or X rated kind of question, then maybe I'll avoid the question or rephrase the question. But I won't say who it is who's texting me. I'll just say, here's a question that came. All right, now you can feel free to, to hide the fact that you want to do this by taking your phone out now so no one will know if you're, you know, following and looking up a Bible verse or if you're texting the pastor a question about this area. But I want to open the floor to allow you to do this today. Today because this is a subject where I'm telling you people are getting their information they're not getting it from the Bible I mean I can remember when our daughter was five and six years old and they're talking about all kinds of things in the bus ride on the way home from school and wow the information is floating around really really fast at a really, really young age. But where are we getting our information from? Is it Netflix? Is it pop culture? Or is it from the scripture? Here's the verse. We've been doing kind of a verse a week here. Here's a verse that summarizes uh, the way that the scripture talks about this area. It, you, again, you will see that it's very much opposed to the way that the culture talks about it. This is from, again, the book of Ephesians Chapter 5 and verse 3. And you should take this and memorize it, put it on your fridge, put it on your car, whatever you want to do to try and memorize this. This is the way that God presents it. And you'll say, wow, this is very different. Well, this is what he says. Among you, there must not be even a hint. That's the smallest little smidgen of it. Even a hint of sexual immorality. This is the way that God looks at the subject. Um, and this is 
very different from what the culture would say. Uh, first thing that you need to note is that Paul, the author there, is not saying that there should not be a hint of sex among you. He's not saying that. If that if that were to happen, you wouldn't be here today. Okay, so he's not he's not opposed to the idea of sexuality. He's opposed to the idea of immorality in the whole realm of sex. And this is an important distinction because in the pop culture, you're going to hear a view today uh, that the church and in particular Christianity uh, is opposed to sexuality. And we, we, we repress it, and it's, uh, you know, it's an evil thing, and it's only meant for, you know, the propagation of the human race, but nobody's supposed to enjoy it. And uh, therefore, we need to combat this evil, repressive regime of Christianity by having, uh, you know, great liberties in the way that we uh, express human sexuality, so anything goes. And this is a view that you're going to see in pop culture all over the place, uh, but it is diametrically opposed to what God says about it. He is not opposed to sex. Uh, get that straight, he's the inventor of it. Um, when Adam and Eve, the first couple, were in the garden, what does it say? They were naked and they felt no shame. Uh, that is a rather poetic way of saying they had a physical relationship. Uh, and it was a, not a shameful one at all. Uh, I can tell you that they were naked and, and had no shame. They were doing more than playing checkers, if you understand the picture. <laughs> okay? Uh, and so God is a fan of this. He is just not a fan of immorality expressed in this whole arena. I don't see any questions coming in yet. You're, you're so nervous so far. Okay? But God, God is not opposed to it. And we have to draw that distinction. The question would become for us then, well, what is immoral and what isn't? And this is where I'm going to get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty. Uh, as I'll, I'll use two words, toxic and safe. Okay, toxic and safe. Um, sex can be toxic or it can be safe. And there's, there's, there's two different kind of arenas there that you see in the scripture. And I want to be very clear as I talk to you about this subject today. Um, I've run into people who have all kinds of toxic situations going on. Many of them. Um, and some of them are quite complicated and some of them can be a little bit difficult to navigate through. Uh, and I'm very familiar with toxicity in this area. Uh, my background and, uh, you know, the whole domestic situation when I was growing up was filled with toxicity in this area. So I'm no stranger to it at all. Uh, and it's not my intention to point any fingers or sound condemnatory at all. Uh, but we need to look at what God says about the subject. Because when God places a prohibition here and when he says no... Well, he does so for our benefit. He's not doing so because he's mean or because he doesn't want you to enjoy life. He does so because in the long run, it will hurt you. In the long run, it will start to eat your life up and you will suffer the consequences of it. And so God says, here's how I want it done. I don't want it done this way. I want it done this way. And he gives to us some very, very clear uh, information in the scripture as to what's toxic in this area and what's safe in this area. And some of this is going to surprise you. When is it toxic? No questions coming in yet. Okay, when is it toxic? 
Uh, number one, uh, adultery. Okay, this is this is a very toxic thing, and this is quite simple um, as as um, you know defined in the scripture. You will see in Matthew chapter five verses twenty seven to twenty eight. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, "You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart." So in that culture, adultery, the idea of, uh, in that culture it would be more of a man that would do that than a woman, but women did do that on occasion. And the idea that a man would be unfaithful to his wife. This was very, very common in the culture of Jesus, and it's very, very common in the culture today. This is still the number one form of toxicity uh, in human relationships when you have this kind of thing going on in a marriage. And Jesus took it even further, and he talked about if the desire is there, then the sin has already been committed, but this is the idea. You shall not do this. I have met with, I don't know how many people who have done that or have been victims of it. And it always causes pain. Uh, in the immediate, we think that it doesn't, and you know, the people who do these things enjoy what they're doing, but in the end, it ends up causing them pain, and this is why the scripture is very, very clear about this prohibition. You with me so far? All right, you're quiet, you're so quiet. Nobody's texting me yet, okay? Uh, next one, and this one, for whatever reason, is we spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, the scripture actually doesn't spend much time talking about it. And, and this is the idea of sex outside of heterosexual marriage. Back in that day, uh, uh, marriage was the common way, to, the common relationship. It still is today. Uh, two-thirds of, of couples in, in Canada are married. Um, but we do spend a lot of time talking about all kinds of other stuff that takes place, you know, outside. So for one, uh, Romans 1 talks about the whole issue, and this is a very, turned into a very, very controversial issue, uh, because it's now legal in the U.S. and in Canada, uh, the idea of same-sex marriage. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is very clear. Uh, and there's a very clear prohibition that God looks at uh, homosexuality and lesbianism as sin. Alright, I, I just said it. It's very, very clear in the scripture. I'm very familiar with the apologetic that some people use to try and say, well, Paul is talking about something cultural there. Well, no, he isn't. It's very, very clear. And the scripture is crystal clear about this area. It's not even frequently mentioned in the scripture because it wasn't that common. It still isn't even that common today. You've got 1% of couples in Canada who practice this kind of lifestyle. And even, the, even though it's been legalized, it's a very, very small percentage of the population. But no matter what we do with the laws and all these things, God still says it's sin. And this is clear. Now, God also says that it's not any worse of a sin than anything else. Uh, we seem to pick on this one, and we seem to be all up in arms over this one. But to be honest, the way God looks at theft is the same way that He looks at this. The way God looks at good old-fashioned adultery is the same way that He looks at this other form of toxic relationship. The word that you see in Romans 1 is shameful. The word that you see is unnatural. And this is clear. 
And it's not, it's not something that's really debatable, regardless of what we try to do with gymnastics around the scripture. But it isn't particularly common, uh, even today, even though we talk about it a lot. Uh, another form, uh, it, it, any kind of sexual relationship outside of heterosexual marriage. This becomes a toxic thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. But because of the temptation to what? Sexual immorality. Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So even back then in 1st century Corinth, because of the temptation to sexual immorality. Well, if you know anything about 1st century Corinth, it wasn't that much different than today. And culture today. Back in first century Corinth, you had uh, an awful lot of even the worship system back then, and the pagan worship system was associated with sex. And even there were, uh, uh, there was prostitution involved in it as well, and people would mix this with the religion of the day in pagan Corinth. It was a very free sex kind of culture. And that's not unlike the culture today. And Paul says, even back then, because of the temptation to this sort of thing, the, 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 each man should have his own wife, each wife or each woman should have her own husband. And there should be an exclusive relationship there. And this is the way to do it. But when it's outside of that, then it can become toxic. Now, this is very relevant today because we live in the province of Quebec. Now, you, you might not realize this, but Quebec is, is a very pervasive culture when it comes to, or permissive culture when it comes to this area of sexuality. Um, and in Quebec... We have a fascinating phenomenon that has taken place where the rejection of the Roman Catholic Church has affected domestic life. So in Quebec, one third of couples are living together and they're not married. That's a very, very high percentage. This is higher than many nations. It's amongst the top percentage in the world is in the province of Quebec. And many couples, they say, well, we do the Quebec thing. And what they mean is, well, we live together and we're not married. And we're very, very happy and that's the way that we live. And this is very, very common in the province of Quebec. It's very common in the church. It's very common in Christian circles uh, where couples are living together and they're not married. I know because I do their weddings. And they come and see me, and that's one of the first questions that I ask them. And some of you who know me, uh, you know, I'm very direct in this area, and I say to the couple who wants to be married if they're living together, I say to them, well, which one of you is moving out before the wedding? And I've had couples look at me in shock uh, when I say that, and I, and I always tell them, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me after the wedding, so which one of you is moving out? And I've had couples do that and take me very, very seriously, and not one of them after the wedding has been upset with me. To a T, everyone has come back and said, well, we thank you. We didn't like you when you said that, but we thank you for laying down that prohibition because now we understand. Now we understand what you meant. And the, the, the issue here is that there's a change of mentality that takes place. There's some questions coming in. I'll get to them in a minute. There's a change of mentality that takes place when a couple is living together or when a couple's married. Now watch this because this is the, this is the, uh, the rationale that we have. 
You may not realize it, but when you're living together and you're not married, here's what's going on. You're basically, without knowing it, you're leasing the other person. It's it's a lease, to use a car term, okay? So basically it's, well, as long as things are going well, as long as things are going going good in whatever area, as long as we're both happy in whatever area, we keep going. But the day that things get too difficult, the day that things get too tough, is the day that we know one of us can walk out. And it's a lot easier to walk out when those rings aren't on your fingers. It's a lot easier. We have a historic court case now that has taken place in the province of Quebec where a very wealthy and well-known Quebec business tycoon had this happen to him. And he was living with a, with a much younger woman and they had kids together and they were very happy for a while. But then things went sour. And they ended the relationship and, you know, she's taking care of the kids and they've, you know, shared custody and all this kind of thing. But this this woman uh, demanded that this man, who's extremely wealthy, continue to pay her in the arena of $50,000 a month just to support her because, you know, that he's obligated to do so. And this man contested and he said, no, I'm not obligated to do that. I, I have to take care of my kids, but I don't have to take care of you. And the, and the court, the, the, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that the man was right. And they said the Quebec Civil Code allows people to get married and allows people not to get married. And these two decided not to get married, and therefore he does not have to pay her all that money as if they were married. They made their choice. And they made that choice for a reason. And then everything changed when the relationship broke apart. And what happens when a a couple that's living together then turns around and says, well, now we want to be married, oftentimes they're miserable. And they were happier when they were living together. Why? Because the mentality changed. Now what you're saying is, we're in it for life. Now we have to say when there's a problem, we need to fix it and we can't get out. And all of a sudden, it's more difficult. And all of a sudden, oh no, what did we do? We were happier when we were just living together. And so the mentality shifts without us knowing it. It's extremely common in Quebec. I have heard many uh, many of the different uh, you know arguments that people use. Well, my parents were married and they were miserable, so I don't want that pain. And all these kinds of things. Let me tell you, God puts the prohibition there for your benefit. In the long run, it's for your benefit. And I I don't condemn couples when I run into couples this way. What I do is I offer to marry them. And many, many times uh, that works out, and it works out for their benefit. But it's a very, very common thing, and uh, very common in the the province of Quebec. Okay, I'm going to get to a couple of... um, a couple of questions here. Uh, one one person uh, texted this in. Is looking lustfully when we are tempted, i.e. we think a thought but try not to think it, uh, or is it when we dwell on lustful thoughts about the person we are looking at? And so this person has questions about what Jesus said there. Well, here's the point. Jesus is is getting beyond the action. And what he's saying is, if the desire is there, for someone else outside of your spouse and you want that person therein the sin is committed you may not have done the action 
But the desire is there in the heart. And if the desire is there in the heart, it's the same thing. And I have watched this play out, in particular with men, over and over and over again. Men who are in this room, raise your hand. Okay, you are the unfortunate victims. There's no kids in here, are there? Except for one that is not going to understand what we're saying. Uh, Men, you are the unfortunate victims of a chemical called testosterone. Yes, you're all familiar with this with this chemical? Okay, and so what this does in, in, in men, and I'm going to be very, very practical here, men are, are extremely, uh, uh, the switch goes on with the eyes. Okay, and this is because of that chemical. And, and men don't realize this, but what happens with men is that uh, when there's that moment where there's that desire, there's actually chemicals that fire off in the, on top of the kidneys in the adrenal glands that fire off uh, epinephrine. And this kind of seals the image of this person in the mind of a male. And this is why pornography is so pervasive amongst men. It's also pervasive amongst women, but more so amongst men. Because men, if I'm going to be you know, frank, are turned on by sight. This is not the case in general with women. It's more of an emotional connection. But with men, it's visual. And Jesus, of course, plays on this. And he says, if the desire is there, the sin is there. And I have watched men over and over and over again doing this whole look but don't touch thing. Eventually, they cave in. And if the desire is there, eventually they're going to put their hands in the cookie jar, if you understand what I'm saying. And so we have to be very, very careful, particularly the men. Yes, I'm being very direct with you today uh, because I know that it's helpful. We have to be very, very careful uh, what's going on with the eyes. Okay, and uh, again, Jesus Jesus picks up on this. Another question that came in, uh, this one is about homosexuality. What should I say to people who say that homosexual relationships are not sin? What about homosexuals as a person? Why do people argue that it is biological uh, rather than emotional? This, of course, is the big controversial question of the day. Uh, We need to be careful to see that the scripture talks about the action. And it talks about the, the clearly the act of homosexuality or lesbianism and all that's associated with all those things. It does not talk about, well, this person... You know, they, they may have tendencies or they may struggle in the area or they may feel emotionally connected or all that. It doesn't pick on the person for that. It's, it talks about the action. And I have known people who, who, are, uh, who are homosexual and they know that it, it's going to hurt them. They know that it's wrong. They know all these things. But they also know that they have a tendency toward that area. And that's just the way that... You know, they they just deal with that all the time. It doesn't mean that they're terrible people. It doesn't mean that they're sinning because they know they have a tendency in the area. They're just very, very careful as to how they go about their lives and they set up certain boundaries because they know they have a pull in that area. Folks, can I just be really honest with you? I have pulls in many areas, okay? (laughs) Many, many areas. And you just know. You know what those innate, those weaknesses are that are in your own, your own kind of wiring and you, you navigate around them. Because you know, well, if I go to this or I do this or I do this, I know there's going to be a pull in this area. You, you could take a, you could take a bottle of alcohol and place it in front of me and I won't have any struggle in that area. But you can do something else and place it in front of me and I'm going the other direction. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we have to recognize that and distinguish that from the action itself. 
And there's a difference. There is. And so, um, again, I know people who are, who are homosexual, lesbian, transgender, all of that. And some of these people are amazing people. Sometimes I've discovered that these people sometimes are even kinder, kinder and gentler uh, than people who profess faith. I've even seen that before. Uh, but they also know that, hey, God does not approve of this and I need to navigate around this area, okay? So hopefully that answers a little bit of, of the question. These are the toxic, the toxic areas, okay? Another area when it's toxic, seeing as we're talking about uh, one so far, um, pornography is, is extremely, extremely uh, uh, pervasive um, everywhere around the world. In or outside of marriage. Inside marriage, people are using this stuff. Even inside their marriage. Um, outside the marriage, people are using this stuff. I mean, it is so pervasive, even amongst the church, even amongst Christian leaders, this is extremely, extremely pervasive. And there are people falling left and right because of this kind of, uh, of activity. And it is wrong. And the scripture is very, very clear about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 5. Again, Paul talks about, um, he says, first, he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, and then he says, but... Since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So what he's saying is, because of the pervasiveness of this immorality, marriage is the proper context for it. And uh, whenever you have it outside of that, whether it's porn or it's other partners or it's all this kind of stuff, it becomes toxic and it becomes destructive. Okay, let me show you an example of this, a wonderful example uh, from this movie. We played a clip from it uh, last week where you have this man and in, within his marriage, he is dealing with his issue. And he is looking at this stuff, and uh, by the time that we see this clip that's in the movie, he has crossed the line of faith, and he's made a decision to follow Jesus, and his, his father is kind of helping him, and he's given him this book to read to help him to try and rebuild his marriage, which is essentially on the brink of divorce. His wife has filed the papers. And watch this scene that takes place as he deals with this whole subject uh, of pornography.
day 23. Watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, or pornography. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive if parasites are present. If you love your wife, you must destroy any addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you. So you get the point. So when there's those parasites that take place, it's toxic. And it starts to consume a person's life. And wow, I have dealt with so many people um, who have been involved in that type of toxicity. And it is very, very difficult, again, in particular for the men to get out of it. But there is a way out of it. Uh, So when you have this, even within monogamous uh, you know, heterosexual marriage, it can be just devastating uh, to people. Um, and another form of this as well, of toxicity, as we finish this part, uh, when sex becomes a very manipulative thing, uh, when it becomes aggressive or sometimes violent, um, w- even within marriage, and I've seen this as well, I've dealt with couples where there was assault that took place, uh, because it was used as a manipulative tactic and a bargaining tactic uh, within the marriage. It's interesting that Paul talks about deprivation. And he says to the married couple, do not deprive one another. But this takes place in marriages all the time, where it's used as a little bit of a manipulative game and a bargaining tool, and then it can lead to other things which can be devastating, and this is within Within marriage, this can take place. This is when it's toxic. Well, when is it safe then? Because it seems like it's toxic all the time. I know that the Bible's view compared to the culture's view is like, whoa, it's so exclusive and it's such a small window here. Well, when is it safe according to the scripture? Well, within monogamous heterosexual marriage, this is when God says that it's safe This is when God says that it's beneficial. This is when God says that it is good. Within monogamous heterosexual marriage, I'm I'm using my terms very, very carefully there, and there has to be an understanding of selflessness rather than selfishness. And we see all of this in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 5. And it's a remarkable passage of Scripture, this, because it is so direct and is loaded with so many implications. We've looked at the first couple of verses, and look what he continues to say. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. An equality there, and he uses this term, marital duty. Duty, 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it, this is selflessness, to his wife. In many marriages even, uh, marriages where the couple can, you know, hum and haw about all the evils of the day and all of the sexual immorality of the day, and yet within that marriage, within that monogamous heterosexual marriage, there's selfishness that takes place in this area. And that is just as toxic as any other kind of toxicity. You do not have, he says, authority. You're yielding yourself to your spouse. This is a totally different way of looking at the area of sexuality. One where you are selfless rather than selfish. It's not about what I want. It's about what my spouse wants. And this is a total transformation uh, of understanding. And this is when God says that it's safe. Again, you say, wow, that's a very narrow window that God is talking about. But I assure you, he does this for our benefit. This is a powerful, powerful thing, sexuality. And when it is not done his way, when it is done in our way or in the culture's way, it can be so hurtful and so poisonous and so toxic to our lives. Well, then what do we do? Let's look at some advice here. I've got a few, a few texts that came in before. If there's any others, you can keep them coming. We're going we're gonna to wrap up in just a few minutes. How about some advice for people who are single? Some of you who are single in here, you're saying, man, I don't even relate to anything that you're saying. Well, that's okay. Uh, singleness and being single, uh, even though some people don't realize this, this is an honored thing in the scripture. Uh, though, especially for those wanting to stay single, this is very much honored and very much lifted up in the scripture. Paul says to, in the same, the same chapter, I would like you to be free from concern. Uh, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And the, his interests are what? Divided. Divided. An unmarried woman, she's concerned about the Lord's affairs, he says. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, but a married woman, ah, she's concerned about the affairs of this world. She's got her husband on one hand and she's got God on the other. And so Paul's saying, listen, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness is uplifted in the scripture. It is not condemned. And often in the church, we look at people who are single and say, oh, when are you going to get married? Well, the scripture would say, if you don't want to, don't. Keep calm and stay single, okay? And if you do, and if you do want to marry, you do have that desire to marry, please don't panic. I have seen people, even people of faith, and they live in a state of panic, especially the ladies, you know, because of that whole biological clock thing, and they're in a panic, uh, saying, well, you know, I need to find Mr. Wright and all of this. The scripture would not, would not encourage you to panic. Uh, the scripture would encourage you to delight yourself in God and he will grant you the desires of your heart. But singleness is not a bad thing. Uh, if you look into the scripture, what about people who are divorced? And many of the weddings that I have done, people have divorces in their past. Well, what about this? And this is often, again, looked down in a negative fashion uh, by the church. Often this is the case, but this is not the case with God. Uh, God's love is not conditional on our marital status. 
When you look into the scripture, you will see that. You will see that his love is not well. No, this one, they have a divorce in their past. Uh, So I don't know if I love this person as much. You do not see this in the scripture. You may see this in the way that we behave to people, but this is not how God behaves. Uh, his, no, his love is not conditional on our marital status. What about advice for the married? And, you know, a few of you in this, in this room are married for sure. In the long run, can you learn this as we, as we finish up today? In the long run, love is a choice, huh? It's a choice. We love the emotional part of love. And, uh, you know, we love the goosebumps and the butterflies and all these things. But love is a choice. And I'll go for more, e- even, even further than that. Love is a skill. And when the emotion fades, how good, at you at, uh, how good are you at loving your spouse? This is a skill. This is something that you learn. This is a choice that you make. Uh, even God chose to love us, didn't he? And God chose to send his son to die for us. We see that love is an action word. It's not just an emotion. You know, I love this picture because you have the beautiful wedding and you have the, you know, the husband and the wife and all of that. Can I tell you in the long run, that's a lot of fun and a lot of, but a lot of it is mythology. You know, we, we put our best foot forward and then we have the wedding and all these things. And then afterward, it, it, it's, it turns into a disaster. And that's because we need to learn the skill and the choice of love beyond, when the, beyond the emotions um, and all of the feelings as those things will come and go. And couples who are married in this room, you need to fiercely protect the area of your, your physical relationship. You need to fiercely protect this. I am stunned at how I see even uh, uh, professing believers and how, how they live with no boundaries in this area. And it's like, what are you doing to this to a certain fellow? You know, what are you doing sitting down having coffee with this girl at the workplace and your wife doesn't know about it? Like, what are you doing? What do you think is going to happen by that type of behavior? Why do you think that you can start to cross that line and you don't think that there's going to be consequences later? You need to build boundaries around that relationship and you need to fiercely protect it because I'm telling you, Satan is very interested in destroying it. I have dealt with so many people and so many couples where that was the case over and over and over again and examples flood my mind even as I'm talking to you today. Because they did not fiercely protect this area. You need to protect it and put boundaries there or there will be pain that will eventually come. Advice for the married, you've got a tall order there in order to keep that marriage uh, running and to keep that marriage as being beneficial for the both of you. You've got a tall order. You've got to put some boundaries around it. Well, that's R-rated relationships, romance. You have been so quiet. I can't tell if you're if you're in shock or where where you are at today, but this needs to be talked about in the church because people are getting their information from everywhere else. And God has so much to say. I'm telling you, you survey the scripture looking specifically for the area of sexuality and you will blush at the end. God has so much to say about this area. He is the designer and the creator of it, but he wants it done his 
way. I'd like the, the band, if they would come back. We had a small band today, small and faithful. If you'd, get, if you'd come back and prepare for one more song, I just want to pray for you before we leave today. And I'll, I'll stick around because there's some of you, I'm sure, who have questions or maybe you're living in a particular situation and this has really hit the nail on the head uh, for you and you'd like to talk about it. That cell phone number that I gave you is my cell, okay? And you, you don't, it's not only today that you can reach me, you can reach me at any time. I will make myself available for you to try and help you, uh, in, in this kind of area, okay? I've seen a lot of pain, uh, and I can, I can do what I can to try and help you. Father, I pray for people who are in this room today. And God, beyond the whole area of sexuality and romance and all of this, uh, Lord, there's something deeper there that's going on. And Lord, um, you are calling people today to yourself. Could be one or two, two persons that you are calling to yourself because God, you made the decision to love us. And God, you love us with an everlasting love no matter what mistakes we have made. Lord, no matter what sin we have committed, no matter what shame we have in our past, even in this area, God, you love us with an everlasting love. So I pray for people in this room today, God, who feel that emptiness inside of their hearts. And Lord, they're reaching for you in the name of Jesus. May they find you today. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Just by an uplifted hand, you can talk to me afterward privately, but there may be one or two of you today, I suspect, and you say to yourself, I'm, my relationship with God is shattered. It's broken apart. I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. And I just want Jesus to fill my life afresh today. If that's you, can you just slip up your hand so that I can acknowledge you and just finish my prayer to pray for you? There may be one or two people, and that's where you